Hi guys, welcome to Elsa and Ria's ER. This is a podcast where we discuss medical field-related books, articles, and current events. My name is Elsa, and here I have my co-host, Ria. Hi guys. This week we're reading Chapter 3 of Dr. Sharon Moalam's book, Survival of the Sickest. This chapter is titled, The Cholesterol Also Rises. Essentially, it was about how um, different races or different cultural heritages um, have different aspects to their gene pool, which makes them more susceptible or less susceptible to different diseases or traits in general. So Dr. Moalam starts off talking about vitamin D and how um, it's good for your bones. It ensures that your blood has good levels of calcium and phosphorus. And it is also proven to be good for your heart, nervous, and immune system. And now if you have a lack of vitamin D, this may lead to everything from cancers to diabetes to heart disease, arthritis, psoriasis, and mental illness. This part kind of caught my eye just because I know as a kid I had low vitamin D levels. Um, And I know it was associated with my hypothyroidism. But I never really knew what the correlation was, and I'm still unsure. Um, I know that, you know, it, it talks about vitamin D having a correlation to calcium. And I know that the thyroid produces calcitonin, which helps maintain calcium levels. Um, but I'm not sure if hypothyroidism itself has anything to do with that. But I did happen to find an article on uh, NCBI titled Vitamin D Deficiency and Its Association with Thyroid Disease. And uh, this proved the fact that um, people with hypothyroidism do seem to have low calcium levels and low vitamin D levels. What is hypothyroidism? The reason I asked is because um, you said you had high cholesterol, right? Or, uh-huh. Yeah, so I also did. And around the same time, my doctor was like, you're a thyroid your like glands over here are like super swollen that's why oh asked. maybe you had hypothyroidism then yeah or but... maybe she was concerned about it it probably didn't check out though yeah i have no idea i just remember crying because i thought i had cancer anyway. <laughs> yeah my uh my hair actually the story of like how my parents like took me to the doctor i remember um my grandma was over, right? And she was going to get me ready for school. She um, she was getting me ready and she was combing my hair. And she noticed that, like, I just didn't have as much hair as I guess I used to or should have. Or maybe it was thin or maybe I was balding. Actually, it might have been the fact that I was, like, balding. And so she was like, this seems odd. So I guess she told my parents. And um, then my parents were like, what? And, like, I, I genuinely didn't think it was a big deal. I was like, you know, what is she talking about? Like, I'm sure I'm fine. I don't feel sick or anything. But then I guess my parents took me to see our um, my pediatrician. And then he recommended that I definitely – he definitely recommended, like, multiple specialists for me to go see. As I remember going to, like, multiple doctors and having to get blood work done. I think, yeah, that was the first time I got blood work done for this. And – um yeah, eventually we, we made it to the pediatric endocrinologist. And, you know, after running the blood work, they probably noted that my T3 and T4 levels were low and that my TSH level was high. And I'll explain that in a second. But based on that, they must have realized that I had hypothyroidism. So going back, um, it's just that. 
So it's an issue uh, with thyroid are not producing enough of the T3 and T4. So, so T4 is short for thyroxine, which is a hormone produced by the thyroid gland. Um, and T3 is called triiodothyronine, and this regulates cell energy and metabolism. Um, both of these hormones, well, the way it works is that first your um, hypothalamus releases a signal for your pituitary gland, and then your pituitary gland releases the hormone thyroid-stimulating hormone, and it does just what it sounds like it would do. It stimulates your thyroid gland to release T3 and T4, which is what I just talked about. And yeah, basically these are lipid hormones that then um, handle your metabolic rate and manage it. In hypothyroidism, um, your T3 and T4 levels are low. And even though, you know, it's kind of like a cycle. So in like normal healthy people, um, if your T3 and T4 levels are low, it would signal to your hypothalamus and your pituitary gland saying, hey, I need you to make more of the thyroid stimulating hormone so that um, I can produce more T3 and T4. And normally it would work, right? Your, your TSH levels would go up and then your T3 and T4 levels would go up, problem solved. But in hypothyroidism, your T3 and T4 level, levels are low. And so it tells your uh, hypothalamus and pituitary to release more TSH. And it does do that. It increases your TSH levels. But the thyroid gland doesn't react to this. It, it can't hear, essentially. So um, your TSH levels are still high, but that's not having any effect on your T3 and T4. So your T3 and T4 levels stay low. So basically it just causes low energy, uh, slow metabolism, uh, some, I have a list of symptoms, um, just basically weakness, fatigue, slow speech. Those seem to be the main ones. I had some problems with my thyroid, but I didn't think it was related to my cholesterol. I had cholesterol because I ate too many eggs when I was little, but it went away as I got older. That's good. Yeah. I know my mom, like, cause my dad has high cholesterol. So whenever he eats eggs, it's just the egg whites because I believe the yolk is the part that has high cholesterol. That's actually funny because I would purposely eat the yolk from like other people's eggs because like no, my sister didn't like it until I would eat her yolk when I was little. Huh? So you think that maybe that's a correlation? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it makes sense, right? If it's a yolk that's causing it. Because it's not like I'm eating two eggs. It's just I'm eating my egg and then her yolk. Yeah, which I guess would be, I don't want to say worse, because you're still, like, regardless if you were going to eat eggs, it would still have the yolk in it. But, yeah. 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 And, it's, like, it's interesting now, because now I I watch what I eat a lot more. And, like, now my cholesterol is too low. And I don't know how, I don't know. It's, like, my egg intake is what I mainly focus on. I didn't realize, until I read this chapter, I didn't realize there's so many things that affect cholesterol. I was just focused on the egg part of it. And so I would make sure I'd only eat eggs like three times a week. If that, yeah, just interesting. Well, it's just fat, right? So I guess it's like anything fatty, quote unquote, would cause high cholesterol. 
That's yeah. kind of why I stay away from red meat because I heard that that's also another source of high cholesterol. Oh really? I I don't know why I stay away from red meat. It's probably that I just don't know the reason why. I no, yeah, things. I understand that that feeling is the same with me too because it's like I don't specifically know why it's bad, but you definitely hear things throughout like the media and stuff about how red meat is just not good for you. Yeah, and also going back to like eating eggs. Michael Phelps, back in 2008, during um, Michael Phelps' um, Olympic career, he used to eat more than a 10,000-calorie diet, daily diet. And so I remember um, I saw in the news somewhere, or maybe an article, that he ate, like, multiple eggs in the morning, along with cheese and tomatoes and onions and mayo and all this crazy stuff, with, like, maybe bacon, too. And... I remember thinking, like, how does this guy not have heart issues or, like, heart disease or high cholesterol? And so maybe that's because he's an athlete. But I don't know. It's it's just, like, weird to see how different diets, um, negative. Like, if someone overweight or if someone who's not in shape or working out as much as Michael Phelps ate the same way, they definitely would have problems, I think. Yeah, that makes me wonder whether being an athlete or being fit kind of is like an excuse to eat fatty foods and just be like, you know, I'm, I'm fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect me or whether there, I'm sure it's like not like that where like, regardless, you're still putting this into your body. Maybe for him, it was just like, he was trying to get the most calories possible. And it's not like he was eating anything bad, right? Eggs are healthy, filled with mm-hmm. protein, um, bacon, I guess. I mean, that's really high in cholesterol apparently, but I guess it offers again protein from the meat um onions tomatoes all vegetables so i guess it was healthy you know but yeah and also like um going back to what you said about how different like people uh people in shape take that as an excuse it also like the media like when someone who's in shape has like a cheat day it's like praise you know like I always see um I follow a couple people on Instagram who or I used to follow who did their daily like uh meal intake and also their cheat days and their cheat days were always so like high calorie and like so much junk food but like if someone who's not in shape who still worked out but didn't look in shape did the same thing they get bashed for it and I've seen that happen so, yeah, I mean, that's a whole separate issue of how people, they stick their noses where they don't need to. Like, whose business is it really if someone else, or why is someone else's diet your business? Right. Like, let them live their lives if they're comfortable with, you know, I guess it's like from a fitness perspective or a health perspective, you can be like, oh, that's probably not good for you. But you're not their doctor. Unless you are their doctor, you're not their doctor. So why does it matter to you? Vitamin D is really important to our body. I am low in vitamin D, and I didn't realize the importance of it uh, until my doctor uh, emphasized the importance of it. And so basically, it's uh, needed to ensure that we have healthy bones in children and we maintain those bones in adults. So if you don't have enough vitamin D in children, you're prone to this disease called rickets, which right now in America, it's not non-existent, but it's like very, very minimal because um, we have uh, vitamin D-enriched milk. Um, 
And in adults, if you ha- don't have enough vitamin D, it leads to osteoporosis. So vitamin D is really, really important. And um, you get vitamin D from the sun. Uh, just going out into the sunlight uh, helps your body uh, produce vitamin D. The sunlight, the U- ultraviolet B radiation, I guess, somehow penetrates into our skin. And then I guess the fat reserves or or not maybe not in our fat, but like in our bloodstream somehow it converts our cholesterol that's there into vitamin d so sunblock obviously blocks ultraviolet rays from entering your skin and giving you skin cancer uh, along with a lot of other things but it also blocks um your body's natural process of making vitamin d because sun is necessary for the body to convert cholesterol to vitamin d Uh, Another interesting thing about cholesterol is that it's higher in the winter months because there's not sunlight to convert the cholesterol to vitamin D. So your vitamin D might be lower in the wintertime and your cholesterol might be higher. It actually relates to me because this past winter I got my blood work done and um, my, my diet was completely different than normal. When I went to college, I stopped eating sugar, I went on a carb cleanse, and then I stopped eating meat, and I stopped eating fish. So basically, I was living on dairy and fruits and vegetables and cereal, which wasn't a healthy diet. Um, But anyways, I was lacking a lot of nutrients, and also because of college in general, and also because it's cold outside in the wintertime, I wasn't going outside. So my vitamin D levels were super low. And then my cholesterol also was low, which was weird. And um, I don't know why that is. I There's a lot of reasons for it, I guess. None of which I know. Probably stuff I have to look into. So my mom told me that vitamin D is really important for uh, your body because it helps with the absorption of other vitamins. So because I was lacking vitamin D, I was also not absorbing enough of vitamin C or I don't know what else. So um, I started taking the pills and I honestly don't see a difference. And that got me thinking, what if, like, it's not even doing anything? Because you know how, like, vitamins and supplements aren't even FDA approved? Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Because, like, what you if you're just taking... Take whatever. Yeah. Like, Omega-3, I... My dad was forcing me to take it, and I hated it. I was trying to find an excuse to not take it. And I read that, like, just eating fish is so much better. Just, like, probably going outside is so much better than taking vitamin D. But it's because the fish oil pills they might not even have anything in them we have no way of like no one checking yeah yeah that's like uh i know i was telling you yesterday but the zinc how like the daily recommended uh dose for zinc is eight milligrams for women and 11 milligrams for men but the supplement pills they sell um are each 50 milligrams which is a huge difference so i was like is it like okay health-wise for us to be taking this much in zinc daily yeah yeah that's really weird like i mean if we like have excess i i'm sure if we're like healthy enough our bodies will just flush it out that's true too yeah because you would think like if it's just like the iron like if you have too much iron it just passes through so i would hope that would be the case with other um supplements but you know who knows maybe it can build up to unhealthy levels and cause issues for the body yeah 
Um, and I know cholesterol kind of has the connotation that it's bad, um, which, you know, there is bad cholesterol and good cholesterol. But cholesterol is required to make and maintain cell membranes, and it helps the brain send messages, and it helps the immune system, in a sense. Um, so it is important. And not to mention that cholesterol is important for your hormones because they're a key building block in the production of estrogen and testosterone, among other hormones. So Dr. Moalam briefly talked about Crohn's disease and how uh, this is where your small intestine is compromised. And so you have trouble absorbing certain nutrients, vitamin D being one of them. And so um, for their vitamin D deficiency, some patients are being prescribed tanning beds as treatment, which I thought was interesting because when I think of tanning beds, I immediately think of skin cancer and just like how bad that is for you. Um, but then I thought about what Dr. Moalam said a few chapters ago and how to escape death tomorrow, I'll gladly take death in 40 years. So I guess it's kind of the same kind of idea with taking the tanning bed, even if it may lead to skin cancer down the line. Yeah, it's sad to think that people who have like intestinal issues have to actually like risk cancer and like skin cancer. I know I always thought it's it, it was like not that serious, but I actually had a teacher in high school who had skin cancer. He was super young. He was uh, like a new father and everything, and he had skin cancer. And then he had to resign um, halfway through the year because the skin cancer went to his brain. It traveled up, and he got super serious. Oh, my gosh. And so, like, skin cancer is not something that people can joke about. I know, like, most people our age don't take it seriously. They're like, I know people who put cooking oil on their skin. And they go out, like vegetable oil. And what? Why? <laughs> what what is the point of that? To get more tan super fast, apparently. I this one girl I know, she did that and she accidentally fell asleep or something and it cooked her skin. And oh my God. it's so dumb. But like the pe- things people do for beauty, I guess, but is it beautiful if you get cancer? I don't know. If you can't enjoy your beauty because you're dead? Exactly. You're right. And so next in the chapter, Dr. Moalam got further into the idea of um, our natural protecting from UV light, and that would be our skin and the melanin that each individual has. Um, And so I remember hearing this throughout the years, but I think it's always an important point to stress for those who may have not heard it before. But we like to, in our society, associate darker skin with being inferior and some people like to believe that you know it's just inherent to their skin color that they somehow have qualities that make them inferior but the real reason you know humans have different colors it's not like we're a different species we're all homo sapiens but it's because of the fact that our ancestors may have lived in different geographical regions where the sun was either stronger or weaker and depending on that we needed to create specific amounts of melanin that would protect us from the sun. Yeah, so people in uh, climates where it's hotter and you get more sunlight, they typically have darker skin color than people who live in uh, colder climates. So darker skin is associated with how much um, our ancestors took in sunlight. 
um, people who lived in areas where there's more sunlight, they had darker skin to protect them uh, from the ultraviolet light so they wouldn't develop skin cancer. It's also to protect protect against the loss of folic acid. Folic acid helped um, in the process of the replication of DNA, and it also is really, really important during uh, pregnancy. And so, like, losing folic acid due to uh, the excess amount of ultraviolet light will be really detrimental to babies. And so that's shown in the 1990s when three women who used tanning beds who had babies with defects and they linked it back to the tanning beds and so because the body was taking in too much UV lights the uh, folic acid was being destroyed and so the baby had defects because of it and I thought it was interesting because even though I associated darker skin with being from a a hotter climate, I never understood that there was a actual reason for it. I just thought we just got more tan, and maybe having dark skin was just being super tan. Um, but you could see that actual like change in skin color in like somewhere like India, where in the north people are typically lighter, and toward the southern region people are darker. And then in Sri Lanka, which is the little island right underneath India, the people there have even darker complexion so this is to protect against the uv lights and so we don't have defects something else that dr mom says that i thought was interesting that is applicable to a lot of people right now is um the use of sunglasses this is a point that i thought was really interesting because so the way that our body produces pigment, um, it all starts with our pituitary gland signaling our melanocyte-stimulating hormones to then have our melanocytes produce melanin, which would then absorb less UV radiation. But um, the way our pituitary gland gets that information to start this whole process is actually from our optic nerve. So essentially, we would have to see the sun with our eyes and recognize the fact that there's a need for melanin for this whole process to start. But then when we put on sunglasses, that kind of prevents that whole process from starting, or at least from having a strong effect. That's why I read that, and I was like, I literally don't go into the sun without sunglasses. Like, when I'm driving, I'm walking anywhere, like, because I do, it's more aesthetic because I don't want, like, wrinkles and like lines from mm-hmm. like squinting and then also isn't it yeah. bad for your eyes if you're looking yeah. at the sun so either way you're getting hurt it's just like how do you want to be hurt and then something dr Moalam talked about that i thought was really interesting was um the gene apolipoprotein e short is apoe4 um and this is a gene that ramps up the body's cholesterol levels for both darker complexion people and lighter complexion people because and and the reasoning for each of them is different so for those with darker skin because we have so much melanin it's kind of tricky for the sunlight to be absorbed and convert our cholesterol into vitamin d so then this gene ramps up the amount of cholesterol 
so that whatever sunlight or UV radiation does get through, um, there'll, there'll be ample amount of cholesterol to be converted. And then for lighter complexion people, because they tend to live in areas where the sunlight isn't strong, the body and this gene ramps up the cholesterol levels so that, again, whatever sunlight does happen to get through, um, there will be an ample amount of cholesterol to be converted into vitamin D. And so I thought this was really interesting because while, yeah, this may be good for vitamin D production, essentially you're increasing your cholesterol levels, which is not good because, yes, there are good things to cholesterol, like we mentioned, but then there are also bad things, like the fact that it causes heart disease, um, stroke, Dr. Mom says in Caucasians, maybe Alzheimer's. And so, um, you know, those are all bad things that, that may arise because of high cholesterol. And I kind of related it back to my own family because high cholesterol runs in my dad's side of the family. And I don't know how far back strokes run, but I know my grandpa had a stroke. And then I think my grandpa's mom had a stroke. So I figure that it's like in our history. Also, it's correlated with the high cholesterol probably too. So this gene may play a role into that, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So you said that someone who's lighter uh, typically doesn't get enough sunlight or their ancestors didn't get that much sunlight, which is why they're so light. But like if someone like that, like a Scandinavian, like Dr. Mullen says, uh, lives near the equator or lives somewhere in the U.S. where it's super sunny, they're going to be more likely to get uh, severe burning, premature aging and skin cancer. And so this would kill or this would result in a loss of folic acid and that would come with a whole bunch of other problems. So this is why more than 60,000 Americans are diagnosed with melanoma every year and melanoma is an aggressive type of skin cancer. We praise having tan skin so much and we go to the beach all the time and we even wear sunglasses, uh, which obviously, just like Rhea said right now, it negatively affects our health. And so this all, even though aesthetically and like in the now, it's good for us. Uh, in the future, it's really negatively affecting us. And so this is a f- really affecting people who uh, are lighter because ancestrally they didn't really get that much sunlight. And now they're all of a sudden putting themselves in front of UV light, especially with the ozone layer depleting. And it's important for people to wear sunblock and make sure they are healthy. Yeah, uh, skin checks, you know, it's kind of, I don't want to say easy, but, you know, just checking your body for new molds may save your life. Yeah. When people of Asian descent uh, drink, they tend to blush quickly and their face turns red i've noticed it in other people and like family friends at weddings when they drink their face quickly turns red and that's called the asian flush and so people the researchers say that the reason for this is because of the way that our ancestors and uh, asian people's ancestors uh fermented their water in europeans the the reason, like, to clean their water source, they would ferment it with alcohol, like alcohol fermentation. And so their body had, like, need 
like there was a demand for their body to be able to process the alcohol, which is why they, um, you know, their their enzyme for converting acetaldehyde into acetate worked properly. But then for those of Asian descent, the way they purified their water was by turning it into tea. And so they never had that requirement to be able to deal with alcohol processing in their bodies. And so that's why their enzyme isn't that robust for converting acetaldehyde into acid. Interesting. So do you think that's why, like, like for us or for people who are a little bit darker, um, maybe we don't get flushed because even if we didn't have that fermentation method, we just don't show it as much? Do you think that's the reason? Yeah, you know what? That's actually, that might be it. Because I was thinking of the same thing. I was like, I don't really know how people in India used to clean their water. I know we tea is a big thing, but also it's just one kind. Because I was under the impression that it was milk-based. So then I was like, if that's not how we purified our water, imagine we did purify it by doing the whole fermentation process. Which I don't think we did, actually. But let's assume that we did it that way. Or then we wouldn't have the flush. But let's assume that tea was made of water, mostly of water then we should be flushing, but we don't. So then I was like, I wonder why. But maybe it's what you said about, like, our skin not showing it. Because I know in general, like, I never blush either. Like, when I was, like, embarrassed as a kid or whatever, I never blush. I actually do blush, and that's because I'm a, I'm lighter. And so I'm always blushing, mm-hmm. I feel like. Like, even when I, like, laugh, my face turns red. So um, I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, so I don't drink at all. So I don't know if I could even blush or have asian blush. i mean i am asian i could have asian blush um because of alcohol um but going back to the purification of water in india i think like they use wells at least at, like my grandma's house we've been using wells for so long and i know like you don't even boil the water you just take it right out of the well and drink it and it's actually like it tastes so good it tastes like earth and so i don't know how we purify it i feel like they always tell me that's the purest form of water and nothing you get in the U.S. will compare is what they tell me. And I agree with them because um, me and Ria were talking about this before. Dasani water and like a whole lot of other water adds, what is it, salt? Yes, yeah, salt yeah. and other minerals to like um, make us more thirsty. So we keep drinking the water. And this is like obviously putting more stuff into something that doesn't need it is going to affect us negatively. But yeah, that makes sense because it's literally no one's been, no one's touched it. It hasn't gone through a treatment plan or anything like that. It's coming straight from the ground. And I guess while you do risk some sort of, I don't want to say, infe- but maybe infection is technically, well, I guess if it's like, it's definitely fresh water if it's coming from down there. And I know like I've read about how that is clean, but I don't know. Personally, I feel like I would just be like skeptical just because it's coming mm-hmm. from outside, but I definitely it probably is safe. But um yeah, it's just probably the most natural. So people in Africa, they don't have hypertension because um, they just like stayed there. But like people who were brought as slaves over here, they didn't survive the trip um, on the boat because they couldn't like retain salt. So the ones that did survive retained salt. And so they have a higher ability to retain salt. And also because America has, um, because America has a highly salt diet because of like everything we have, uh, we have hypertension. He said that was unnatural selection. Yeah, I read that. And I was like, man, this is such a shame. The fact that like, 
like he said, unnatural. Like, that didn't have to happen. But because of the whole process of slave trading, now they got stuck with this gene, I guess, and this process of retaining salt. And now, and yeah, I remember just reading the fact that he started off saying um, African-Americans are more likely to have hypertension. So you would think that it would be the case with Africans. But no, because it happened during the slave trade. Also, like, they talked about the amount of salt in the diet. And just in my family, we use so much salt. Like, it's in every single food we eat. Yeah, that's true, too. I know, like, we use ghee. Yeah. Do you guys use We don't ghee? use it too often, though. I think we use it, like, every day for, like, making, like, you put it on the, the mm-hmm. um, roti it's and so stuff. It's so good. So, <laughs> I don't even know, though, because... Either we might have started using coconut oil for a little while because I guess it's healthier. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we started we switched over to coconut oil. But I remember because my dad's cholesterol, he like would be like, "No, don't put mm-hmm. it on mine, right?" But like my mom would be like, "No, no, a little's fine. Like you know, it'll taste better that way." But my dad's like, "What the? <laughs> you know?" So yeah, I I know ghee's like really rich. Like just looking at it, the thing is just. Coconut oil, you can see how it, like, condenses when it's cold, right? Because um, we use coconut oil for cooking, too. But ghee is, like, yellow, and it's, like, super rich. So I can definitely see why, like, it maybe it causes problems with cholesterol. Even though I didn't know that. That's interesting. I think just because of the fact that it's oil. But, I mean, I heard it's purified yeah, butter. Yeah, I heard something like that. Makes it seem healthier, but I don't know about how all that. How do they purify it? I don't even know what purified means. Yeah, like, what are they purifying out of it? So vitamin D also inhibits the growth of cancerous cells in the colon, and uh, along with, like, other places. But I just thought the colon was super interesting, personally, to me, because colon cancer runs in my family. My grandma had colon cancer, and um, it really took a toll on her, but she recovered after, um, she recovered after chemo. Um, and now my mom is having gastric issues and she just went and got a colonoscopy like a couple weeks ago and it came back good. So now she's getting an endoscopy. Yeah, I think that's where they put the camera yeah. in. I don't know. If, is it orally or anally? Uh, colon is anally and then uh, endo is orally. Yeah, because I had a project. Uh, I might have. I think I told you about it. Um, my anatomy teacher did this biomedical engineering project where we had to like improve upon an existing uh, biomedical device, and so someone improved upon like the process of endo- of an endoscopy, and like they they like either fixed the camera or they fixed the entryway or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, like the whole process for a colonoscopy is so intense. My mom had to go on a whole like diet cleanse and she couldn't eat anything 24 hours leading to the colonoscopy because your everything needs to be clean and you have to go on like a juice cleanse yeah. basically so i feel like yeah there's probably some way to improve upon it but it's just something that you need to watch for and something i need to watch for now because now every time i get some sort of issue i immediately think of colon cancer which i think is unnecessary but like also maybe kind of justified yeah, I was nervous that I had it too for a while, like back in high school. But I mean, like, um, also because my grandpa had it, and I don't know if it runs through the family, but just because he has it, obviously, we should all be mm-hmm. careful now. But. So Dr. Moalam also talked about lactose, and I know we talked about it previously without any context from the book. 
but he kind of solidified it a bit here when he said that a lot of people don't have the lactase enzyme, which is necessary for um, breaking down the lactose sugar in dairy products. And um, he said that if you do have this lactase enzyme and you don't experience the symptoms of lactose intolerance, then he called us the lucky ones um, because we're probably few, which I never realized. I thought like majority of people were able to process lactose, but maybe that's just because people in my immediate family and like people that I know were able to. But um, I thought it was interesting because he said that if that is the case where we are able to process lactose, then it must be because we have ancestors that drank animal milk. And so we developed a need to keep this enzyme present while most people lose the enzyme after breastfeeding. So then I thought that was interesting because it was like a little tidbit into my past and how um, my ancestors must have been farmers, which which makes sense because I know already my my great grandparents on my dad's dad's side um, were farmers. So there's no surprise there. But then I guess just in general, it must have been that, you know, everyone was a farmer. But um, also it made me think, I, I always thought that all people everywhere were farmers. Yeah, yeah, me too. Like where else are they getting food? Because I didn't think trading was that big a thing, especially since they can't preserve food and stuff, right? So next, Dr. Malone talks about the prevalence of different diseases and the fatality rate rates in different population groups. African-Americans are twice as more likely to die from heart attacks than Europeans and South Asian-Americans. And their rate of cancer is also 10% higher. But also, um, European-Americans are more more likely to die of cancer and heart disease than Latino, Asian, or Native Americans. And American-Latinos are more likely to die of diabetes and liver disease and infectious disease than non-Latinos. And then finally, Native Americans have higher rates of tuberculosis, pneumonia, and influenza. So these all show how different population groups have different uh, reactions and uh, survival rates to different diseases. However, Dr. Malm also says how these statistics aren't uh, entirely accurate because of a lot of racial bias in the medical field. More recently, it's been brought to light how people of darker skin color, such as um, African Americans, they don't receive the same health care as someone of lighter skin color or white people. Fatal pregnancies in uh, black people, it's much higher than that of white people. And this could be because of racial disparities or racial injustices. Uh, I recently read a story about a lady whose child she was black. Her child was in the hospital and he was seizing, I think, or he was having some sort of medical issue and the nurses weren't attending to her request. And ultimately, the kids ended up dying because they listened to her after she he started coding and he died um, because he didn't receive that same attention that maybe he would have received if he was white. And so this just like brings up all the inequalities in the healthcare system and all the things that we as future medical professionals need to make sure that we don't continue and we can make better in the healthcare system. Yeah, that's a real shame. I feel like 
there's so many stories like that out there and so many statistics where it's like blatantly a problem and like we really need to work to fix it i know um i attended a seminar where um a black doctor was talking about some of these social determinants of health and so i kind of have them here um it's economic stability so your income um employment debt expenses support medical bills um, then you also have your neighborhood and the physical environment. So your housing, your transportation, walkability, park safety, and then education, literacy, language, education um, in childhood, vocational training, higher education, food, uh, your access to healthy options and hunger, community. This would be, you know, the um, discrimination, stress and support systems around you and then the healthcare system. Um, whether you're getting the right quality of care or health coverage, provider availability, all these things. And so you can really see how each one of these things plays a role in determining someone's outcome from a health operation treatment or just their health in general. Two things that she talked about that stood out to me is how um, pain tolerance is looked at differently with a black individual and a white individual. Black individuals, for whatever reason, are seen to have a higher pain tolerance that um, they won't be given certain pain medication in the same situation where a white individual would be, which is pretty messed up. Also, she said how a black individual may come in complaining of abdominal pain, abdominal pain and may just like um, be ignored or not taken seriously compared to a white individual. And that issue may be appendicitis. And so essentially what they're doing is risking their appendix bursting um, for the black individual while treating the white individual right away, which, again, is just so yeah. messed up. More people are, are affected by it. So finally, Dr. Mullen talks about dense hair on forearms and legs and how this might have been our body's defense mechanism against malaria carried by mosquitoes. So with the exception of Africa, um, the densest hair is generally found in the same places where malaria is most common. For example, the East Mediterranean Basin, Southern Italy, uh, Greece, and Turkey. So in Africa, the reason why this might not be the case is because people there are more prone to sickle cell anemia, and this uh, offers some sort of protection against malaria. So he doesn't really go into it, but basically he's saying how denser hair on the arms and legs made it so that the arms and legs weren't really exposed to mosquitoes. It wasn't exposed, so there wasn't as easy of an access for the mosquitoes yeah. to bite us. Being Indian, I think I've noticed definitely within myself, but then also with um, people around me, that Indians seem to have a lot of body hair. And I, I always thought at first that, or I was always confused why this was the case, because I correlated having a lot of body hair with being as an evolutionary protection against cold climates so i thought europeans would have it because they needed like warmth but then i always wondered why do indians seem to have so much body hair but then after reading this it all made sense to me because i know that malaria is prevalent in india as well and so um it makes sense for this to be a natural protection yeah I also thought that it was because uh, we needed to stay warm. And unlike you, I just thought that maybe India was cold at one point. Um, so that's probably not right. 
But yeah, it makes sense because every time I go to India, I never really get bitten by mosquitoes. It's always my siblings. That's probably because I have more arm hair than them. We talked about the different effects of different medications. Going off of that, um, Dr. Moalam talked about like the idea of personalized medicine and how like uh, we might be able to like because all races have like these different um, little caveats to like their genome, I guess, or the the way they like handle certain diseases and the way they're susceptible. Um, how maybe we could tailor our drug doses, dosages in the future to whether we have a fast or slow drug metabol- metabolism. So he goes into that for a bit and um, how like humans have different metabolisms depending on their ancestry, which I thought was really interesting um, and how it might be the future, which is crazy to think about. But it seems like it would be make sense, but also it would probably take a lot of time and we would need a lot of information to find this information out about our metabolism. So maybe it's not the near future, but I guess it could be. Yeah, I hope so. Because uh, the example he gave about the lady who took cough syrup, but because of her fast metabolism, it turned into some amount of morphine. I just thought that was like really crazy. Because imagine that happens to one of us or to anybody else, I guess. Um, and imagine like she didn't uh, have a chance to go to the hospital right away she could have died it's very time consuming and specific to each person so it's definitely something that it's going to take a lot longer to actually be put into practice yeah it would be very cool though like you said it could save a lot of lives all right guys thanks for sticking with us just like the cholesterol sticks to our arteries bye